0: Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. I'm Aubrey.
0: And I'm Davey. And we are your hosts And today, I'm super excited because we're starting a brand new series on singleness. This is Uh, a good one. This is a really good one. Now, I I know when we first say, okay, we're going to do a, here's the Nothing is Wasted podcast (laughs) where we're talking about pain, and then we're talking about, you know, that we're doing a series on singleness. Right, 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 right. You might be tempted to think (laughs) that, that being single is a form of suffering, and that is... Now, some of you, that, that, may, is not that true. may feel like suffering. But, well, that's true. Somebody. That might feel true for
1: some people. But no, but we are not, not saying singleness saying. is suffering. No, right?
0: being single is not the pain point that we're trying to zero in on right here. We're just trying to talk about suffering from the perspective of a season of singleness, that there is suffering within seasons of singleness, uh, whether that's lifelong seasons of singleness or whether that's temporary seasons of singleness. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of uh, we're we're kind kind of trying to hit every angle that we can, really to serve you because, you know, some of you listen to our marriage series and you're like, "Okay, that's great, but it doesn't really apply to me. I'm single." And so we yeah. want to we want to kind of find some uh places where you can relate, and you can connect, and it's going to be awesome. In fact, we acknowledge the fact. Aubrey, you've been married for how long? Uh over 20 a years long time, now, right? 20 years, yeah. just celebrated yep. 20 pretty recently, and yep. I've been married twice, and so we've been married for a while. We haven't really had a long season of singleness, each of us in adulthood. So right. at, the, at the end, after this conversation, in each one of these episodes, we're going to bring on a special guest, our producer, whom you have not heard from. Taylor Carlier.
1: I am very excited about I am
0: super excited about it. And she's very passionate about this topic of singleness as it relates to our walk with Jesus. And uh I just want you to be able to um glean from her because she's got a lot of wisdom on this. And so you're gonna want to stick around afterwards, after our conversation with Christopher Yuan, um, and and we'll talk about this with Taylor a little bit. But Aubrey. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Christopher Yuan, because this is amazing. I
1: will say a few things about Dr. Christopher Yuan. He is a Christian speaker. He's an author on faith and sexuality. He's a professor at Moody Bible Institute. And perhaps what you need to know about him is that Christopher is is a homosexual... Christian Mm -hmm. who has chosen a life of celibacy. Um, But more than that, he's chosen a life of wholeness. He's chosen a life of holiness in his sexuality. So you are not going to want to miss this. And I want to say this also about our singleness series. This is not just for you single people. This is for you married people as well. This is a really fantastic, this one especially, but all of our conversations in this singleness series are for all of our listeners. You're going to love it. This one meant anything to you. If any of our conversations mean anything to you, we would love to invite you to rate and review the nothing is wasted podcast on apple Podcasts, and of course like davy said stick around after because we are gonna talk with taylor our producer
0: <laughs> it's gonna be awesome so right now let's uh let's go ahead and dive into my conversation with christopher Yuan. Christopher, it's so great to have you joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time.
2: Well, thanks for having me on, Davey.
0: I am super excited about this conversation. We've been connected by a mutual friend who was also on our podcast, Josh Weidman. And ever since he told me your story, told me uh, the ministry that you're doing, the 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 word that you're carrying right now, I said we've got to have this guy on the podcast. And so um, I would love for our listeners first to just get a little bit of a. Uh, a, a glimpse of con- contextually, w- who are you? What do you do? What's you know? What is the life of Christopher Yuan look like right now?
2: <laughs> well, um, I, you know, thanks for the invitation, and I mean, we're both in the Midwest, even though we're not in person. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you, you know, I I speak on sexuality and the gospel, and and how can we better as the church engage on this topic of sexual identity, reach those in the gay community, and now, of course, as that intersects with gender identity, uh, you know, the LGBTQ community. Uh, So that's that's really what I speak and write on, and it's my heart, uh, and particularly how that relates back to my own story and my Mm. own journey.
0: Yeah, that's so great. Well, I, I mean... I feel like that we could sit here and have hours of conversation i don 't want to waste any time. I would love for you to take us back to your journey in this, uh, particularly in this in this subject matter. Uh, talk to me story a little bit of, of, of you know how God has met you in this space.
2: Yeah, I was not raised in a Christian home, so we didn 't go to church didn 't own a Bible. I'm Chinese. My parents were born in China, raised in Taiwan, then came to the United States for graduate school. And they, uh, I'm the the youngest of two boys. I was born in the Chicago area. And, you know, my parents weren't Christian, but they raised me with very traditional Chinese values that I could distill to, to three things, obey your parents, do well in school, and practice piano. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wrestled with my sexuality from a young age. Actually, I was uh, I came across pornography at when I was 9 mm. and um I I'm, I'm 50, so that, mm. when I was 9 that was back in the late 70s when there was no internet mm. um and you know, I think media was quite different than it is now, right. but pornography has been around for for a long long time and I know a lot of times parents are really shocked when they hear you know 9 years old and that is so young statistically speaking that is not young that's right. average. Right. And that that average age that average window from mm. which the majority of children men and uh, boys and girls are actually exposed to pornography and most often by accident is yeah. younger and younger particularly with uh, with the internet and particularly with uh, parents not uh, not realizing what the goodness of internet, but also how there's a lot of bad mm. in uh, with with allowing our kids to have really uh, just access to the internet without supervision. Yeah. Anyway, I was exposed to pornography and um, that was the first time that I realized that I had these attractions to the same sex and I was, I was so afraid, I didn't know what to do with it. So I didn't tell anyone mm. and I kept them hidden from high school, uh, college, even into uh, the Marine Corps Reserves. In my early 20s, I started dental school and I moved from Chicago to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, pursuing my doctorate in dentistry. Yeah. And it was there that I finally came out of the closet. Uh, and after a year, I broke the news to my parents and I told them I am gay. Devastated my mom. Mm. And she wasn't a Christian. So it wasn't like, you know, she was using her judgment based on scripture. It was just. That was, you know, her life changed. In the timing was really bad. My parents' marriage was a disaster. They actually began the paperwork for a divorce. So mm. in, in my mom's, as an Asian mother, her life was destroyed. Yeah. You know, no more family. And, and for an Asian mom, family is everything. So she actually had decided to end her life. Praise the Lord, wow. God actually used that to bring her to faith in a very, very dramatic, amazing way. Actually, on a train, one-way, uh, she bought a one-way Amtrak ticket through Indiana. And, um, you know, so, uh, you know, through that that train ride, she came to faith. Within a few months, my father did as well. I went the opposite direction, wanted wow. nothing to do with their Christianity, just thought they'd lost their mind, you know. And, yeah. And, um, you know uh they they tried to reach out to me i spent most of my free time in the gay clubs uh, you know and and again not all gays and lesbians do drugs or promiscuous i started doing drugs but the, unfortunately that is part of my story mm. and i need to be honest when i tell you that but i really want to remind people that when when you encounter christ he will impact every aspect of your life mm. so i began experimenting with drugs I actually also began selling drugs and I sold to friends, classmates, even a professor in dental school. Mm. Well, this whole time my, my parents had no clue. And I, and I thought I could balance this being a, a graduate student by day and a promiscuous drug dealer by night. But three months before I was received my doctorate, the administration of the school expelled me. Wow. So I'm like, I've, I decided to just move further south to the bright lights in big city of Atlanta, Georgia. And there I quickly did what I just knew how to do best, which was have fun, party. I began not just selling drugs, but supplying drugs to dealers in over a dozen states. Wow. In addition, it was nothing for me to have multiple anonymous sexual encounters each and every day, because according to the world, I had it all. Money, fame, drugs, and sex. Yeah. I'd exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and I began worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator because mm. in my world, I had become God. Wow. But this the funny thing, Davey, is this whole time, my parents didn't even know that I was doing drugs, and yet they knew that my biggest problem was actually not just being in rebellion and, and rejecting them, or not even being in same-sex relationships, what I needed most was that I needed to surrender my life to Christ. Mm. So they tried to reach out to the love of Christ, and I wanted nothing to do with it. They came to visit me one time in Atlanta, and I told them to get out. Mm. And the funny thing is they weren't preaching at me. They weren't telling me I was living in sin. I know what, I knew what they believed. Right. But just the fact that God had so radically transformed their lives that they radiated Christ, that was offensive to me, mm. and I told them to leave. Man. And, and, you know, we hear the narrative today that Christian parents, Bible-believing Christian parents cannot love their gay children. They actually have to get rid of the Bible. They have to, you know, move from the traditional views of Christianity mm. to a much more progressive or even an atheistic view. To actually love gay children. Mm. But you know, Davey, I had the exact opposite experience. My parents weren't Christian. They rejected me. It wasn't until they became followers of Christ where they realized that God loved them while they were powerless, while they were still sinners. Like Mm -hmm. I love that in Romans 5 where it says that God loves us while we were still, not just, you know, while we were kind of becoming better, or we were sinners, but kind of we, you know, yeah. knew that we were sinners. No, while we were still sinners, still in our sin, God saved wow. us, that my parents had to love me just in that same way. It even goes on to say Romans 5, verse 10, that he loved us while we were enemies. Wow. Like, that's, who does yep. that? Who does yeah. that? But God, so God loved me just as God loved them while they were sinners, and they need to love me as God loved me while I was still in sin. Mm. So um, they left before my dad left, walked out that door. My dad put his Bible on my kitchen counter. And uh, and as soon as they left, I took my dad's Bible and I threw it in the trash can. That's how much I despise God, Christianity, the Bible. Mm. And it was so obvious. My parents, you know, they, they say this now that after that visit, it was so obvious that I was totally unreachable and completely hopeless. Man, wow. But my parents committed not to focus upon hopelessness, but upon the promises of God. Mm. And along with over a hundred prayer warriors from their church, from their Bible study fellowship group, they began to cry out to God for me. My mom began to pray a bold prayer. Mm. God, do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. (laughs) That's a... That's a pretty bold, right. scary prayer for a, for a mother, an Asian yeah. mother to make, but she was desperate. She began fasting every Monday for seven years and once fasted 39 days on my behalf. She would spend wow. hours every morning in her prayer closet, reading the Bible, crying out to God, interceding for me, for many, many others, because she knew that it was going to take nothing short of a miracle. Wow to bring this prodigal son to the Father. Wow. And a miracle is precisely what God did. This miracle came with a bang on my door. I opened up my door, and on my doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. Gosh. (laughs) I just received a large shipment of drugs, not my largest, but they confiscated my money, my drugs, and I was charged, Davey, with the equivalent... Of 9.1 tons of marijuana. Wow. With that amount, I was facing 10 years to life in federal prison. I'd started with a bright future among society's finest in academia. And I found myself in the ditch among society's despised in Atlanta City Detention Center. Wow. So I tried calling home, just dreading making that phone call. But my mother's first words were, are you okay? Wow. No condemnation, just words of unconditional love and grace. Wow. So a few days after that, I was walking around the cell block and I passed by this garbage can and I'm like, this is my life. You know, I'm from upper middle class, suburb of Chicago. My dad, two doctorates. I was just three months, three months away from receiving my own doctorate. So, I, and I'm like, I had not made, but now I found myself mm. in jail among common criminals. Wow. So I was about to pass by this garbage can, but there was something on top of the trash that caught my eye. I bent over, picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. (laughs) Took it back to my cell and I began reading it. And at first I wasn't thinking, oh, this is the answer. (laughs) I just thought, I've got tons of time on my hands. and I better pass it somehow. But, you know, Davey, as we know and as your listeners know what we have— in our Bibles, is not just ink mm. on paper, mm. but what we have in our Bibles is the very breath That's of right. God. That's right. And it is living and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, mm. able to cut through the hardest of hearts, exposing my sin, my rebellion, and it wasn't a pretty and I thought things going to get any worse. Mm. I was wrong. A couple of weeks later, I was called into the nurse's office. I was handcuffed. The nurse sent me down, and I was like, something's wrong. She wrote something on a piece of paper, slid it across the desk, and I looked down, and I saw three letters and a symbol. It read HIV positive. Mm. The days after were dark and lonely. I was sentenced to six years, much better than ten years that I was facing, but this news of my HIV status felt like Mm. a death sentence. A few days after I was laying in my bed, I was the only person in the cell, and I look up at the cold metal bunk above me, and somebody had scribbled something, and it read, If you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. Hmm. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, I mean, God could have used any verse in the whole Bible, but he used that verse that that a, a prophet from 2,000 years ago had penned to a rebellious nation, Israel, that was in exile to tell me that if God could have a plan for Israel in rebellion, in exile, he could even have a plan for me Yeah. in prison, mm. in rebellion. I had no clue where that plan was, was going to take me, but God gave me enough faith and enough strength to get through that one day and the next and the next. Mm. So my transformation was gradual. I wish I could tell you, God, <laughs> you know, put me down on my knees. I said a sinner's prayer and everything after that was like, perfect, no <laughs> more problems. <laughs> Not the truth. God began convicting me of my idols. And Mm -hmm. let me tell you, I had a ton of idols. Obviously drugs. You know, I'm in prison for that. That's the most obvious thing. But you know what's so amazing? Within a few months, God delivered me from that addiction. Mm. God kept bringing to mind other idols. And there was this one that I felt like I just couldn't let go of, my sexuality. So I went to a chaplain and I'm like, what's your opinion on this? Mm -hmm. And you know, to my surprise... This chaplain actually told me the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. And he even gave me a book explaining that view. And I'm like, great. I can now have my cake and eat it too. I had that book in one hand and the Bible in the other. And, you know, from a purely human pr- perspective, everything inside of me wanted to accept that. Every, I had every reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. You know, I know now that it was God's indwelling Holy Spirit that convicted me that those assertions from that book were a clear distortion of God and his word. I couldn't even finish that book mm. and I gave it back to the chaplain, which meant I turned to the Bible alone and I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of scripture looking for its justification. I wanted to find any shred of evidence, any verse any passage that might bless a monogamous same-sexual relationship. Mm. I went through the whole. I I went through the whole Bible, cover to cover, several times. I had time, <laughs> I, and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find any. Mm. So you know, I was essentially at this turning point. And a decision had to be made. Either abandon God and His Word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same-sex relationship by allowing my attractions, and this is important, by allowing my sexual attractions to dictate not only who I was, but also how I lived. Hmm. Or abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship. By, how? By freeing myself from my sexuality and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Hmm. My decision was clear and obvious. Hmm. I followed Jesus. As the days and the weeks and the months of abstinence passed, I realized that my sexuality should not be the core of who I am. You know, I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally, and we know that's true. But don't we as sinners like to add to God's truth? I added, so therefore God doesn't want me to change. Similar to people who say, God loves me just the way I am, so leave me alone. You know, after reading the Bible several times, I learned that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. Mm. My identity should not be defined by my sexuality. My identity shouldn't be grounded in my desires. My identity is not gay, is not ex-gay. It's not even heterosexual for that matter Mm. because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. Mm. God says, be holy for I am holy. I thought in the past that if I were to become a Christian, that I would half become a heterosexual. And what does that mean? Well, the more sexually attracted I were to women, the you know, many, many women, the more of a Christian man I would be. Hmm. But I realized that even if I had opposite sex attractions, I would still need to Flee temptation, resist sin. So actually, heterosexuality, it's the correct direction, but it's too broad that includes sinful behavior. And if you think about it, God never commands us, be heterosexual for I am heterosexual. (laughs) But neither did God say, be homosexual for I am homosexual. Instead, God says, be homosexual holy, for I am holy. Therefore, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That is not the goal. But the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. Mm. As a matter of fact, the opposite of every sin is holiness. I don't need to focus upon whether I'm struggling, not whether I'm tempted, but I just need to focus upon living a life of holiness and living a life of purity, because Mm. change is actually not the absence of temptations, but change is the spirit-wrought ability to be holy, Even in the midst of temptations Because the ultimate issue is not whether I'm struggling Not whether I'm tempted But the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God In total surrender Mm. and complete obedience Wow So after I began living this life of surrender and obedience God began to reveal His plan for my life And He called me to full-time vocational ministry While I was in prison, of all places (laughs) And I realized it didn't matter where I was Whether I was in prison or out of prison, because my calling would remain the same, regardless of location. And with that change of heart, God did another miracle, and he shortened my sentence from six years to three years. So with only about uh, about a year left of my prison sentence, I knew that if I was going to continue on a ministry, I'd had to learn more about the Bible. So I called hmm. them, collected my parents, asked them to mail me an application to a, to a Bible college in, in Chicago called Moody Bible Institute. But there was silence on the other line because I think <laughs> they both dropped their phones. <laughs> I, grad, I, I, I got out of uh, Moody uh, in, in uh, July of 2001, and I started the very next month in August to, of 2001. So imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? Hmm. Mm. I graduated from Moody 2005, went on to my master's in exegesis from Wheaton College Graduate School, and then received my doctorate of ministry from Bethel Seminary in St. Paul. Mm. And, um, and then I had the incredible honor of co-authoring a book with my mother called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. And then um, my newest book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Sex, Design, and Relationship Shaped by God's Grand Story. Uh, came out in 2018, and so I've been speaking on this, uh, and I think it's just for such a time as this that God has called me to be a voice of of clarity and pointing people to the beauty of the gospel. Mm.
0: The Pain to Purpose devotional released on July 22nd, and since then we have been blown away with the response and orders from you, our Nothing is Wasted Community. It has been such a humbling experience to see people get their hands on the devotional and to hear how God is using this devotional to meet people in their pain. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all your support, prayers, and responses to this passion project that I have put my heart and soul into. Now, if you haven't already ordered the devotional, we still have more copies available for you or someone else that is wanting encouragement to get through a valley. Over this 42-day journey, We believe that God can and will meet you in your pain. To start the journey and order your copy of the Pain to Purpose devotional, head over to to paintopurposedevo.com and use the code podcast to receive 20% off the purchase of the devotional. Again, that's paintopurposedevo.com. Make sure you use the code podcast for 20% off. You know, I think this is such a a, a necessary, needed conversation, and not because mm. um, not because necessarily we see it seems like a more prevalent uh, 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 ex- exposure to or or, or more prevalent uh, you know situations where we're, we're where we're seeing gender co- gender identity conversations happening, and you know conversations yeah. of LGBTQ, and then that how that gets mixed into conversations of faith in the church and the yeah. acceptance of that or lack thereof, or how it, right. Not just because of that, but because of what you've just said, the conversation of sexuality as a whole and right. where, you know, as a whole, the enemy is trying to gain a foothold to gain a stronghold in our right. lives through this conversation, through sexuality. Um, You yeah. know, I know one of the things that, we talked about off air is that so often the church has made the issue of homosexuality, the ultimate sin, right? Like above right. right other sins of sexuality. And, and I think that's a, a, a gross error and, um, you know, gross misinterpretation of scripture to elevate that sin above any others. Um, Yeah. But, you know, now you're digging in and you're having a lot of these conversations, and it is a very prevalent issue. And we can't remove ourselves from the fact that this is a topic that is very much in vogue. And so I'm sure you're having a lot of very difficult conversations with people. People asking questions like, why is this a sin? Why is, you know, and particularly people. You know, we're living right now in a post-modern, even sometimes post-Christian, post-evangelical culture where the Bible has even been questioned as the impetus or the foundation of our faith. People aren't coming to that to, to the Bible as much anymore as this is the foundation of our faith. Um, so as you're dialoguing with people and as you're answering some of these questions, what how do you approach that now? What I mean, obviously, your story is a huge one, right? Huge way to approach it. But how do you approach a question like, well, okay, but you know, I'm not necessarily—I don't necessarily believe the Bible is completely, like, completely inerrant or completely. So why is it bad? You know, why is this against God's way of doing things? I'm hearing this from Christianity. I'm hearing this from the church, but I'm not sure that that's truth. You know, what? How do you answer that? Yeah. How do you How do you go about that?
2: Yeah. You know, I think it's, you know, what you brought up is, it is really important, you know, as we are going to be critiquing culture, um, critiquing, you know, particularly how culture or maybe, you know, you know, the progressive Christian movement where they no longer or have abandoned biblical sexuality, where we critique that, we need to also be mindful of our own weaknesses and our own shortcomings as the church, where decades we have, like you say, elevated this particular sin as if the worst sin or one of their worst sins Mm. you know if we're going to pick the top five or the top two this would be that and yet scripture yes it calls same-sex relationships as sinful um and you know but it it doesn't communicate it as the worst sin Mm. paul talks about sexual sin as a part as particular sins that uh, that have greater consequences because it's a sin against the body, like Paul says in First Corinthians. and uh, and so keeping that in mind, when the church then treats this particular form of sexual sin between two people of the same sex as grievous, but sins between uh, people of the of the opposite sex, Uh, as sin, but, you know, I mean, everybody does that. Or even where, you know, a father, you know, will be justifying or uh, trivializing even uh, his teenage son who's sleeping with his girlfriend, Mm. you know, well, at least he's not gay or, Mm. you know, that's my boy. And, uh, you know, that would be a Christian father even saying that. Uh, I think trivializing sin is, is... is, is the the Bible, especially the way Jesus talks about it hypocrisy uh being like a pharisee is is a very grievous sin, mm. so we need to be careful of that and recognize how how we as the church historically have have often erred in that way yeah. but like you 're saying, Davey, the problem now is uh, because of our just because we 're human and we 're sinners we have this tendency to be like a pendulum. Yeah. So we go from one extreme all the way to the other. So, you know, whereas maybe a decade ago or more, the church or or maybe the older generation of Christians were very clear on calling this sin, but had no kind of understanding of grace, Mm -hmm. particularly for those in the gay community. So that's truth at the expense of grace. Mm. But now what we find is this pendulum has just swung over all the way to the other side where this younger generation that are, are, you know, they're living, especially post-2015, which is when the Obergefell decision was uh, that legalized same-sex marriage in in all 50 states. We have a generation of children uh, that are being raised uh, where... That's the norm that same sex, LGBTQ, gender identity, all of that is celebrated. Um, very, very different milieu than mm. the way that we were raised up. So, what we see is this pendulum that is swung all the other way, where it's all compassion and grace at the expense of truth. Mm where people even who, who will claim to be Christians now are really, in essence, rejecting biblical sexuality. So how do we engage? And, and I think it begins with recognizing uh, some kind of presuppositions that are assumed before we can even address the reality of sinful behavior, yeah. particularly when it comes to homosexuality. And it gets to the... This wrong presupposition that relates to that—that that our sexuality is who we are. In other words, mm. people are equating um, our desires with our identity. Mm. And that's why—that's one of the many reasons why, Davey, I don't identify as gay as I did before. I don't identify as ex-gay either or straight. I think those are incorrect labels Mm. that are grounded in a humanist uh, anthropology that's really Freudian Mm. and um, atheistic, really, at the end of the day and i'd much rather just use a much more biblical term that i you know my identity is in christ i'm a christian if i'm going to use any label that's what i want to want to focus on if i'm going to have any goal for my life it's going to be sanctification and holiness mm. not these other categories that that are uh, that that really cloudy the water so yeah. so i think how I engage with those in the gay community or those who identify or say they're Christian, although they are rejecting biblical sexuality is I would kind of talk about, you know, should or is sexuality properly understood to be a matter of personhood is, Mm. is sexuality, uh, you know, this, this new category of how we define people because, um, you know, at the end of the day, sexuality is really about our desires, the relationships that we have, and our behaviors. And yes, I I will concede and agree that these desires are strong desires that seem like a, a pretty maybe core part of our experience. Mm. But I'm going to beg to differ that as strong as a desire or attraction or temptation is, That doesn't really define a core aspect of our personhood, Mm. but it still at the end of the day, just describes maybe a core aspect of our experience. That's very important because if we were to ask, you know, and I'm sure all of our listeners probably have a friend, Mm. a loved one, close acquaintance, maybe a distant acquaintance, who identifies as LGBTQ+. Right. And if you were to ask them, what do you mean when you say, I am gay? You know, of course you can say, of course I know what that means. I just want to see how you would define that. You will never, no more, hear someone say, when I say I'm gay, what I mean is, the, the you know, this is what I feel. These are the attractions that I have. Mm-hmm. This is the type of relationship that I prefer. Not at all. Instead, what you'll hear is people saying, when I say I'm gay, I mean... This is who I am. So the shift from what to who has really has created this radically distorted view of personhood. So sexuality actually shouldn't be who we are, but it's how we are. And if we can get in this conversation, because Christians, we, we kind of think, well, how am I going to talk to them, you know, that this is sinful behavior? But if we, when we do, and we haven't really had that, that identity conversation, they won't hear us saying oh, what you're saying is, you know, when you say this is sin, you know, what you're saying is, you know, that my behavior, my actions are sinful. No, what they will hear us saying is that their whole person, they can't separate who they are, and that is reprehensible to God. You know, that's completely what I believe. So I think what we need to do is help, um, you know, our gay friends to understand and, and have this conversation of just identity, and that's much less... Um, you know, uh, controversial, or it won't lead really to arguments. And even you know, Christians who have a, a, of a distorted view of biblical sexuality, having this conversation, they definitely have conflated sexuality with who we are. And I think yeah. I really think that that's the number one thing. And I mean, in my book, I, I begin there before we even talk about sexuality uh, or you know behavior and desires, all of that. We need to begin with laying this proper understanding of who we are first because we are first and foremost We are created in the image of God, which is actually different from being a child of God because Mm. you don't become a child of God until, you know, by grace, through faith in Christ, you have been reconciled to God and and that you have put your faith in Christ and been saved. That's when you become, you are adopted by God as a child of God. But everyone is created in the image of God, regardless of whether we have put our faith in Christ or not. And that's very important because... Because we're created in the image of God, we all have dignity and value. I mean, you know, the, the talk now is so much about social justice, but unfortunately, even Christians are grounding their understanding of why even social justice in the wrong things yeah. on, you know, our, you know, a lot of other, other incorrect things. The only true justice that Christians can ground it on is one of the most important doctrines right. of Christianity, which is the Imago, Imago Dei. Dei. Yeah. We're created in the the image of God, but we're also fallen. So keeping those in mind really helps us to better understand uh, sexuality. Yeah.
0: So you've heard us talk about the Pain to Purpose devotional that we released in July. Well, since this ministry started with our podcast, we wanted to do something just for our podcast listeners by releasing the full audiobook of the Pain to Purpose devotional for our monthly partners. That's right. As of this month, you can access the 42-day devotional to help you through life's valleys in audiobook format, along with all of our other bonus content that we provide for our monthly partners. Take a listen to this clip from the audiobook now. the end of the book of Job tells us that God blessed him more in the latter part of his life than the first. If you take a closer look, you'll notice that with the exception of his children, this new balance sheet is twice as much as his original one. God returned to him what was stolen and more. Not only that, his daughters held the reputation of being the fairest in the land, and Job was blessed to see four generations of his heritage beyond him. Any great-great-grandfather could say he is a blessed man. And you too, friend, can be blessed, even in this brokenness. In fact, I would venture to tell you that your brokenness is now going to produce a greater blessing in the future than you ever thought possible. So let's look toward the end as we begin this journey. Let's walk right through the valley of the shadow of death, remaining close to the side of the Good Shepherd and looking to the blessings that await us. If you enjoyed that clip and you want to listen to the entire Pain to Purpose devotional audiobook or you want to check out any of our other bonus content or or maybe you just want to support the ministry with a monthly gift, head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners and sign up to make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation of $20 a month or more. If you're hesitant about committing to $20 a month, you can start a seven-day free trial to preview the bonus content we have under our partner program. Again, that's is slash partners. You know, to what, what's the key then, you know, again, if we're continuing to talk about this engaging, you know, how the church engages culture and I mean, I noted that the response that your mom had right mm-hmm. when you were, when you called her from prison, and yeah. and 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 you were very clear to note the fact that she she didn't come with condemnation. Her tone wasn't even condescending. Right. She said, "How are you?" I have mm-hmm. to infer that there is something within that that becomes the key for us as you know, as as the church, as believers, as you know, to uh, trying to engage these conversations because. There is, there's so much um, polarization that happens when you even step into these conversations. We had a conversation with a group of people last night where someone in our group mm-hmm. who's in ministry asked that very question, literally said, I don't know how to respond if someone asks me, is homosexuality a sin? Especially if someone who mm-hmm. is, has, is identifying LGBTQ plus, I don't know how to respond in that, you know? Yeah. So, I feel like there's a, there, we're, mm-hmm. we feel very ill equipped, you know, but there's got to be some kind of a key right there in that moment where your mom answered. <laughs> Talk to us yeah. about that a little bit.
2: Well, you know, I mean, the only way that she was able to respond in that way was number one, that she needed to be redeemed herself mm. and that God uh, gave her um, uh, a new mind and, um, and because of being reconciled to God, you know, Jesus Christ has left us a comforter. Mm. And that is the Holy Spirit who indwells us uh, once we are reconciled to God. Yeah. But, um, and, and, and and the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, making us more holy uh, because we're not holy. And the only perfect holy one is Christ himself. Mm. And so to be more like Christ um, means to be, as John talks about in John 1, 14, that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. So our responses always need to be full of grace and full of truth, particularly when we're engaging with those who have yet to know Christ. And, um, and yes, you're right, Davey, the scariest question that we are faced, that we always think, please don't ask that question, is, do you think this is sin? Yeah. And I know automatically the thought is, I'm a follower of Christ, which means I cannot lie, so I need to speak truth, all true. Mm. But when we look at Jesus, his example, of course, he's perfect, he never sinned, he never lied. Right. Um, it's very interesting the way that Jesus answered. <laughs> and, and so, you know... <laughs> Listeners, as the next time you go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, any one of them or all four of them, just note every time that Jesus was posed a question, hmm. now, Jesus was posed a question by many different people. Sometimes it was the um the disciples themselves hmm. that posed questions. Um, sometimes it was Pharisees, so people that were like trying to trap him, or sometimes it was the crowds, and so it's different people that were asking different questions. And Jesus, uh, the way that he responds was not always the same. Mm. When it was a disciple, he spoke plainly, right? right? When he spoke to the crowds, what does what do the gospels say? He didn't. He wasn't speaking mm. plainly. He was speaking in prop, you know, in, in you know, in parables. Mm. Why? because was Jesus trying to deceive them or trying to confuse them? No, because he knew that the crowds were just like out for a show that their hearts were not ready to receive the truth yeah. and when he was being trapped by Pharisees, in other words, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes they would they, they knew because they were no, they were not they were no dummies, right <laughs> they posed a question that if Jesus says yes. Mm-hmm they had a rebuttal. If Jesus says no, they had a rebuttal. Mm. So it's like, they were like, perfect, we're going to trap him. I mean, so right. many times it says when, you know, that when they ask a question, they were trying to trap him, they were, or test him. And, and right. the word test there, oftentimes, the same Greek root, the root of that word is when Jesus was tempted uh, by Satan. Tempted and test is actually the same Greek word mm. um, in, 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 in the New Testament. So they were trying to test him, just as Satan was testing Jesus. And um, what's so funny is in those situations, Jesus didn't answer their question. <laughs> like yep. even before Pilate, you know, right. Pilate, what was he? You know, was he even ready? He was silent before Pilate. Yeah. Um, before Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, when they're trying to trap him. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't silent silent to the Pharisees, and in, in the, in the, he did provide an answer. It just wasn't the answer that right. they were asking. Or, or he, asked he sometimes question. It, he answered a, a question with a right. question, like you know, should we pay taxes? And what do you say? On, you know, what's the inscription? Give me, give me a coin. <laughs> Whose inscription is on the coin? Yeah. You know, so he asked a question, and the reason why Jesus did that is because, I mean, first of all, he's God. So, I mean, he's, you know, unlike us, we're not God. Yeah. So we don't have, you know, but we have the Holy Spirit abiding in us. But he's God. Therefore, he knows their thoughts. Mm. He knows their motives, their evil motives. But I think more importantly, Jesus knew that the question being asked is not the the, the most important pressing mm. question. Wow. Therefore, Jesus being God, he then presented and gave an answer to, or used, you know, the questioning or whatever he was doing to actually drive, he was in control. Mm. He was driving the conversation in the correct direction, which is to talk about the coming of the kingdom of God. Mm. And so therefore, for example, you know, should we pay taxes? (laughs) You know, Jesus is like, that is the most stupid. I'm so glad that Jesus is not, you know, I'm not Jesus, because I would have just been like, like, you're an idiot. A you're an question. idiot. And, you know, whatever. You know, I'd walk away, and, you know, show them the hand or whatever. And, and just, but Jesus being God and patient, full of grace, and full of truth, he just was like, show me a coin whose inscription is on that. And then he goes on to this amazing statement that no one can refute, you know, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and then give to God. What's God's? And and that, what, what's so amazing, I mean, I, th- I love that passage so much, particularly when you study it in, in the Greek, because the word for image is the word icon in Greek, which is where mm, we get the icon. word icon. Yeah. Well, what's so amazing then about that is when you go into the Old Testament and uh, in Genesis 1.27, which is talking about the image of God... Mm. Well, the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek about 300 years before Jesus. And so that that Greek word, uh, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word image was translated into Greek using what word, you know? Mm-hmm. Icon. Icon. So in other words, it's saying wh- wh- what image is on there. I mean, it's the same thing. What image mm. is, you know, that's what what resemblance, right. you know, some translations say. But what image is on there, that's basically pointing back to that. And so... You know, give to God what's God. You know, know, whatever's inscription is on this coin, well, give that to Caesar, you know, because this is Caesar's. But what bears the image of God? Us. Wow. Not just like a part of me, not just an aspect of me, not just my body, not just my soul. My whole person is created in the image of God. And so give what to God? All of us. us. Wow. All of us. And so that answer was pointing right to the coming of the kingdom of God, the beauty of the gospel. And so therefore, getting to kind of my point, there's Mm. a long way around. But so when people ask, do you think this is sin? First of all, I know that even if I gave the right answer, and let's just say amazingly, they come to the right conclusion. Be like, oh my goodness, you're right. This is sin they're still lost. If they don't know Christ, they're still lost. No morality will ever get us into heaven. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I know that that question is actually not that important. I mean, it's, it's important, but it's secondary not... Secondary uh, well, or importance. tertiary. Yeah, right, exactly. it's a secondary, tertiary, right? I mean, it's it's down the it's list. Down the list. It's, yep. it's it's not even primary. Right. So therefore, what do I want to do? I want to bring it to these gospel conversations that could then lead to salvation. So yeah. what I suggest is something like this. I, and especially if I, if I already have a re- relationship with them, I know they're not a believer. Like, I would say something like this. I know... You don't even believe in God. So what does it matter to you what God thinks? Like, Mm. what does it matter to you what, uh, you know, what God thinks is right or wrong? Instead, let's first talk about the existence of God. Mm. Like, I'm bringing it around to the more important conversation, which is God. Is there even a God? Which, of course, there is. And then once we talk about that, then we talk about, well, did he have a son? Was he expressed Mm -hmm. through Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who is God, who is man and God? And then we talk, and are, that. those are gospel conversations yeah, that can lead yeah. to salvation. To talk about, is this right or wrong, are good, they're not bad, those are important, but that can't ever say. Yeah. And that that pressing in me needs to be looking at, um, yes, the importance and ultimate authority of God's Word, but God's Word is uh, the Word of, of God. Yeah. God. So, I mean, we we can't have um a proper understanding of scripture, the word of God without beginning with God himself. Yeah. Which is why, you know, the people we know who who may read the Bible um and and yet have this very distorted understanding of Christianity mm-hmm. and even sexuality and then kind of celebrating, you know, all these things that God does not celebrate. If you follow the 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 bad logic is they they're looking at the at, at the word of God and and having kind of this, you know, like you say these these difficult passages that we don't like right. where they're kind of smoothing it over. Well, it's the word of God and every person that I know that That has a distorted understanding of of scripture, that has a low view of scripture, automatically have a distorted understanding of God. Right, because it's kind of
0: cyclical. This is how do we understand God? Well, we understand Him from His Word, right? Yep. And so, and yet at the same time, we have to have a deeper understanding of who God is in order to understand His Word. You know, it's right, it is this cyclical thing. Um, Yep wow, man. Okay. I feel like we could sit and have conversation about this and so many other things for hours and hours and hours. And we will, we will, Christopher, me and you will get back on uh, whether it's on air or off air. We're going to sit down and have a lot of conversation because this is sharpening (laughs) me. This is honing me. I love this, but I want to really emphasize here as we kind of turn, you know, turn the conversation and and, and close. um, You know, one of the, one of the biggest contestations, that someone who would identify as LGBTQ plus would say, and, and again, this is this, from my interpretation, comes from a pretty limited perspective. But one of the things I've heard many times is, okay, you know, I have these desires and I have this, um, you know, the the, the this this appetite, and it's what this doesn't seem fair or just because. Someone who is heterosexual, they're able to exercise those appetites and desires within the context that you're talking about this lifelong committed relationship in the context of marriage. That that they're able to exercise that. Now I'm not. I'm just not supposed to exercise that. It doesn't seem like they get an outlet. I don't. I don't understand. Now, I know that's a very simplistic way of asking that, but this is actual conversations that are happening. These are questions I've had as a pastor, you know, from from people who would identify as LGBTQ plus, and so, you know, that's where that's where you know, I I feel like you can speak to that more than more than most people on what it looks like to um, to make decisions based around that in following God.
2: Yeah, and and I think the very thing that you're mentioning is probably, um, you know, as we see this younger generation just almost walking away from the church uh, on this issue, um, as we press into that, we see that the logic is exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's unfair. Mm -hmm. Unfair for what? It's unfair for my gay friend or my lesbian, uh, you know, neighbor or whatever, my lesbian uh, classmate to have to be, or to be forced to be single for the rest of their life. Mm. That's unfair. And and I'm going to point number one to the church first. Mm. The church... Has had two things. Number one, a very anemic theology of suffering. Mm. Anemic is actually pretty charitable. Yeah. Yeah. I would almost say uh, a non existent theology of suffering. If we were
0: in a Pentecostal church, I would say, Christopher, say that again. Say that again.
2: (laughs) That is so (laughs) true. That is so true. And um, we. You read the Bible, I mean, um, mm. and I'm getting like holy goosebumps now, but just imagining, like just looking at the, uh, from Genesis all the way to, uh, you know, Revelation, but particularly in the Old Testament, whereas so much of it is narrative text, mm-hmm. there's so much suffering and pain, um, Psalms, like... Yeah. Like, if everything was rosy and, I mean, we wouldn't have psalms, right. you know? Right. I mean, or at least the majority of <laughs> yeah. psalms would be, like, and there's amazing psalms that are just joyful mm. and, and climactic and worshipful. We love those, but I think sometimes it's the psalms that we, like, resonate with, connect right. with, when, like, um, it's just, you're weeping before God, right. and and it's... Why did God choose to use those and, and, and have them as part of our inspired text? Because yeah. pain is a part of life. And um, so anyway, we, we, we really, you know, Davy, at the end of the day, there is no gospel apart from suffering, mm. period. Wow. You know, and I'm not even talking about the suffering of Christ, Yes, I mean, I I don't know if I need to rephrase that, but yes, I'm talking about that, but that's Mm. like the most obvious thing. I'm talking about in the life of the believer. Mm. And and we shouldn't then like want it or like uh, try to seek it out, Um, but it's just a part of life. Yeah. And um, we don't need to celebrate it, uh, but we need to know how to walk with people through their pain not minimize it not be like job's friends and try to rationalize it and talk it out you know right yeah. I mean job's friends they did fine um what is it the first five six seven, I don't remember how I was I think it's seven days or three <laughs> days whatever it is right they said nothing and that was marvelous yeah. like it was just I'm I'm just sitting with your pain can you imagine I mean for days sitting with someone but like he just lost everything, yeah. and and that's the least that they could do. <laughs> when did the trouble come? Open their mouth. You they know? started talking. That was that was the problem, and um, but uh, so it's it's just being able to just sit with people in their pain. So that's yeah. one. We have no theology of suffering, um, and you know which is the your 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 podcast and and what you've gone through and God how God redeems that and. Um, and and, you know, my pain is, is not even just a sin. It's just, I'm a sinner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's my pain. Uh, if I'm going to point anything about what's the cause of my pain, it's my sin, period. Mm Uh, and that's all of our, uh, you know, it, it, for me and, um, and, and a fallen world. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but the second part is we have a distorted theology of singleness Mm -hmm. where, We have placed marriage to be pie in the sky, the the destination, the the, the goal in life, the destination. Exactly, you know. And they live happily ever after. I mean, they get married, (laughs) they live happily ever (laughs) after, right? Right. You know, it's like we're distilling this into our kids. You know, Mm -hmm. Sally, there's no more story here to tell because they just got married. Mm -hmm. The end. (laughs) And and it's and it's a distortion of the 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 real purpose, right? Of marriage. Right. Marriage is beautiful. Most people will get married. But if our Lord Jesus
0: Christ
2: was not married here on this earth, he was a single man and yet mm-hmm. fully human. Mm-hmm. And we miss this, Davy, that he was not, his ministry didn't begin when he was 12 or mm-hmm. or I mean earthly ministry um, uh, with his disciples. It did not begin when he was 18. It began when he was. Thirty, yeah. As a single man, the average age for a a, a, a man of Israel to be married during the first century was eighteen years old. Wow. Average. If you were twenty and not married, some rabbis called these men accursed. Interesting. Twenty. Wow. And then to end, rabbis. You know, so, so Jesus was considered a right, rabbi. Right. Rabbis, essentially every rabbi was married. Yeah. Hmm. Jesus being 30, we don't talk about that because it, they already, it was already, it was through, you know, in between the lines that every, everyone in the first century read that, yeah. knew that. But today, because, you know, people are getting married later, 30, that's like nothing. Yeah, right. It was radical for Jesus to be a single man, a rabbi, and, and a man of Israel. Wow. Radical. So we 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 miss that. I'm not saying that marriage is you know singleness is better than marriage. I'm simply looking at what what Scripture teaches right. us that marriage is good. It's even very good, but singleness is also good right. in Christ. It's good. Right. So I want to critique the church and saying we must do a better job at talking about marriage and singleness. I I, I, honestly, we need to actually redeem singleness, redeem biblical singleness and show that marriage does not have a monopoly on love. Mm. Wow. You know, when people think, Oh, you know, I'm, I will never be able to get married and uh, woe is me. um, I will never be able to experience love. Who says that? Mm. Like does, so does that then mean then, uh, as a single man, I'm single. I'm not married yet. I'm open to it, mm-hmm. but I've, God has not yet provided a, a wife for me. So if, you know, as a single man, does that mean, because I've never been married, does that mean that I've never experienced love? Mm. Well, Davey, guess what the world says? Yes, you've never experienced love. Wow. What does God say? No. Wow. I mean... In Greek, the, the 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 you know the greatest form of love is agape love, right? right? Unconditional love. Right. In the majority of instances that we find that in the New Testament, it's actually not even talking about love. For example, First Corinthians thirteen, right? The love chapter. Yep. When we hear that read in in weddings, and it's it's wonderful. You know, this is a husband. How you're supposed to love your wife? You know, love is patient, love is kind, etc. Love that. Paul's when he wrote that, what Paul meant was writing to was not. How husbands should love their wives. Mm. Yes, it can be applied that way. But Paul wrote that to the church. In other words, church, your love should be patient, kind, long-suffering, all of that. I mean, so when we walk into the church building, because of course church is not a building, (laughs) but when you go to the church service, you know, weekend service, and you're in church, meaning you're in, you're within the body of Christ. Think about 1 Corinthians 13. Am I loving the person next to me, the person in the pew across from me? You know, in that way, that's how we ought to love. So I think the real answer is, first, I mean, we have a lot of work to do as the church. We need to have a proper understanding of singleness to then provide this place in the body of Christ where we can have singles that can say, you know what? Yes, I'm not married. And yes, it's not easy. Mm. But you know what? I have something that's greater than sons and daughters that comes right out of Isaiah. Yeah. And what is that? I mean, pe- the people of Israel didn't know what that was because they didn't have, <laughs> the Messiah had not come right. yet. But we know what right. that is. Right. And that is actually multiple, multiple, uh, multiple things. First of all, that you become a child of God. Yeah, Hallelujah. That's, I mean, that could be end of story right there. Yeah, But that's not the end of the story. Yes, we're, we become children of God through the Messiah, by grace, through faith. But then, uh, because we become children of God, mm-hmm. that then means if God is our Father and there are other children, then we ha- are part of the family of God. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So that then right. we have the family of God. But there's something that is even more amazing, and that is that we can then be a part of fathering or mothering spiritual children. Yeah, that's great. I mean... You know, Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission, make disciples mm. of all nations. Right. Which, by the way, we need to note, does not say make converts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. get your checklist or, or right. baptize people. <laughs> you know, those are amazing things. Right. But it says make disciples, which includes those things. Yeah. Doesn't end with just, okay, I've I, you know, they they're, they're baptized and yeah. I'm done. No. Make disciples, which is ongoing. Right. So make disciples actually, I mean, when you think about that, making disciples, I mean, involves bringing someone to Christ, that they put their faith in Christ, mm. which then becomes, they, they become children of God, which then means that I can be a part of bringing someone into new life. Right. In, in essence, I mean, Paul was a father. He was a father to Timothy. He was a father to many, many, but he was not married, as we know. I mean, there's debate about that, but in the New Testament, we wrote that, he was not married, yeah. but he was a father. So, as single people, we need to see, yes, I'm not married and I cannot father physical children, but I certainly
0: better be fathering spiritual right. children by making decisions. That's disciples. so good. So whether you're single, whether you're married, there's um, advantages and joys and um, ex- and experiences at, to be had with both. And there's also suffering that goes along with both, <laughs> yes, right? And both. this, I mean, this is, you know, we boil down what all of this, I mean, unbelievable, rich things that you're saying right here. What I heard in the very beginning of this is we each have a cross to carry because Mm -hmm. the point of this life is holiness. And the only way that holiness can be achieved in us is through suffering. The only way. I mean, that's how, that's how, you know, Jesus, that to your point, he lived single and he fulfilled his complete purpose. How? By going to the cross and by raising from the dead. And that was the, and so we too have to, the only way for us to enter into purpose and personhood is by way of suffering. And so I don't want to sound reductionist in this, but we all have a cross to carry. And for some, that cross to carry might be singleness, abstinence, and in that carrying that cross, you are also experiencing the joy of the resurrection. And for some of us, the cross to carry might be marriage because... I'm telling you, marriage is very much a sanctifying process, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, It is not the, you get married and you live happily ever after. Nobody <laughs> has right. that experience. But those of us who <laughs> approach marriage and those of us who approach singleness with the, through the lens of, okay, this is about sanctification. This yeah. is about holiness. Right. In that That's approach... Right. Looking at at it through that lens, then we also in 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 a byproduct also get to experience joy and life and fulfillment as Amen. well. And and
2: that is why you know I coined this phrase, holy sexuality, yes. which is it, yes, it's a it's a kind of a maybe a new phrase, new uh, you know words, but it's not a new concept. Yeah. Because basically, holy sexuality—I I wanted a vision. So, if it's not heterosexuality, right? As I said earlier, it's, it's that's the correct direction, but it, it includes sinful behavior. Mm-hmm. Plus, heterosexuality—that that phrase or that term—says nothing about how singles should live. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, I, I I came up with this phrase and defined holy sexuality to be this: chastity and singleness, or faithfulness in marriage, mm-hmm. biblical marriage. So that wow. means when we are single because i don't want to say i don't want to make make it seem like that i'm just i'm just talking about people who are just going to be single for the rest of their life because i think we need to be open every person should be open yeah. to what god has yeah. for them even people who are, are married because yeah. mm-hmm. right i mean davy yep. your perfect example right. you know you, we think you know i'm going to be with you for life right. god had a different plan yeah. you know i mean my parents have been married for over 50 years yep. most of it was not maybe I could I'm speaking for them, but I think they would say the same thing awful because yeah, right. <laughs> they did not know Christ. Right. They you know, but now in their later years, I mean eventually, you know, hopefully, you know, sooner or later, one's gonna be home with the yeah. Lord before the other. Not by choice. Right. And so when we are single, how do we live? We're gonna be sexually absent. Yeah. When we are married, biblically married, that's the only definition that Jesus used. Be faithful to your spouse of the opposite sex, and that just lays it out: chastity and singleness,
0: or faithfulness in marriage, and that is good news wow. for all. That's so good. That's so good. Oh man, Christopher. Okay, we are going to have more conversations. I'm saying it right now. <laughs> I, I this was this is so helpful, and this is so rich, and I'm just so appreciative that you took some time. Um, I know this stirred up every single one of our listeners in in the best of ways. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, where can we? follow what you're doing, get more great content material from Christopher Yuan?
2: Yeah, my website, christopheryuan.com, Yuan.com. And um, I've got videos there. Uh, and also, um, places where you can uh, see where I'm speaking, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not in just one place. Yeah. And I'm uh, so people can look to where I'm speaking. And I, you know, I would love to be able to meet any of your listeners yeah. in person at any of our speaking events. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm actually moving uh, in the next few months out on the West Coast, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty mobile, so it doesn't really matter. But um, you can find me on social media, whether Twitter, Christopher Yuan, Instagram, Christopher Yuan, Facebook, I have a ministry page, which is just Christopher Yuan as well. Uh, but I'm be- also beginning this, this great initiative where I'm turning Holy Six by and the gospel into curriculum for secondary oh, sc- uh, for secondary schools. Um, wow. Because, and we're going to start from junior, uh, juniors and seniors in high school, and move on down and, in and creating, making this curriculum for them. But I'm also going to be developing my YouTube channel, which is also Christopher Yuan, and creating um, videos high quality with animation that answer some of these unanswered questions that yeah. we all have. So that'll probably be launching uh, later this year of That's 2021.
0: That's great. That's awesome. I can't wait to get my hands on that stuff. Christopher, thank you for what you're doing, the word that you're carrying, the resources you're providing is much needed. And thank you so much for spending time with us today.
2: Thanks for having me on, Davey. God bless you.
1: Wow, Davy, I'm still um, just thinking through some of the points that Christopher Yuan made. The I'm man is you. obviously like living his theology yeah. and so much wisdom, so much heart. Right. I feel like, and really, I think telling the story in a better way. Yeah. then then often we hear about sexuality, right? We're often so polemic, like it's either heterosexual or straight, and he's like, no, 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 like that's not the goal. Mm -hmm. The goal is holy sexuality. And in fact, listeners, we would love to recommend his book to you. It's called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Mm -hmm. Sex, Desire, and Relationships Shaped by God's Grand Story. Mm. Uh, I'm sure you can get it wherever you get your books, but certainly it's one to... Pick yeah. up and read.
0: I love what you said, Aubrey. You said that he is living his theology, which the reality is that that should be all of us, right? Right, that should be all that, of us, yeah. and it really is all of us. That's the thing. The way we live really is how we believe, and theology is really just what I mean. It's the it's what we believe about God is specifically what theology means. Um, but we all we all live the way we believe. That's the that's the reality, and it's just that yeah, oftentimes we don't live the way that we say that we believe. And so right, he's, right, right, right. he's living out what he says he believes, and I and I love that. And so our our theology is going to inform our activity. And so I want to dive into a little bit of the theology of singleness, which is why we brought Taylor on. Hello, Taylor. Hi, is Taylor. Hi. Not new to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. No, she's I've actually, been
3: here a while. She's
0: actually <laughs> been our producer for a long time behind the scenes, uh, directing it. Uh, Everything, virtually. And Taylor, you and Aubrey are in school together. Yes, we so in college and graduate
3: school. Just right. like Christopher, he actually went to Wheaton as well. There you go.
0: So this is a perfect He's basically thread. our
3: best friend. Yes. <laughs> we're going to become best friends, that's for sure. Yeah. Especially um, with honestly. his theology of singleness.
0: We wanted to bring Taylor on because, you know, again... Aubrey and I, we're speaking from a different place when it comes to singleness. And this is something you're living and have lived for a little while. And this is something you're passionate about. You're you're passionate about this, (laughs) about helping people to understand the nuances of God calling us to singleness in certain seasons. And and so talk to me a little bit about, as you're Mm -hmm. listening to this conversation with Christopher, what what are your thoughts on it?
3: Yeah, I think my initial thought, just from what Aubrey was just saying there about identity specifically and sexuality, is that we make so much of our identity about sexuality. And whether you're Hmm. single or not, that is not the key. That's not, you know, I mean, Aubrey, you're writing a whole book about this. We're made in God's image, the Imago Dei. And so that, when we wrap our identity around anything other than that, we've twisted our theology about God. And so that's the same for the theology of singleness, right? Like. When in singleness, um, you know, my identity is not whether I'm single or not. Yeah. It's not whether I'm straight yeah. or gay. It's not um, whether, yeah. you know, any of that or, or even, you know, I think of he talks. Christopher talked a lot about like chastity and singleness. Mm-hmm. And it's not about whether you've had sex or not either. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And that even in Christianity right. kind of becomes this this pedestal thing that we constantly are talking about, you know, virginity or. Um, lack thereof, and mm. I, I think that most singleness conversations they they go directly to that when it's just so much deeper than that. That's that's an action or or byproduct byproduct yeah of of what's going on in our hearts. And so I think that's I good. mean when it comes down to it, it really goes to obedience, and it goes to you know whether we're willing to walk that path of sanctification
0: or not. That's it. Do mm. I want to be
3: the closest to looking like Jesus
0: as possible?
3: Yeah. Or do I want to settle for less than that?
0: Yeah, and and the and the the interesting thing is, you know, you say the path of sanctification. The question then uh, we have to go to is, do I trust Jesus's path of sanctification for me? Yeah, right. Because everybody's path of sanctification is different, right? And every mm. season is a different sanctifying thing for right. us. And, and so marriage
3: he, is sanctifying as right? well.
0: So if he chooses, sure. hey, for this person, I really want to bring this person. Um, a spouse so that that I can sanctify them through marriage. I really want to bring children into the equation so I can sanctify them through children or I really don't so that I can sanctify them through singleness Regardless, it's it's God's pathway for us because He knows us best. Yeah, He knows exactly what we yeah, need to be tra- sanctified. He's always
3: trying to get to the heart of our own issues and our right. heart, the heart of of where we stand and things. And even for myself, a couple years ago, I was I was thinking, you know, I grew up in the church and and I was told to you know wait for marriage to have sex or anything like that. And and yeah. the more and more thought about it, I think it was about five years ago, I finally was like. I just need to know why I'm doing this. I'm not saying that I'm gonna change my mind on this, but why, why really am I, you know, waiting for marriage to have sex? Why is there chastity and singleness like Christopher mm. was mentioning? And I finally had to come to a place where I mean, first of all, I had to get with God on it and really right. ask him. Like, like beyond what I've heard from youth pastors, like what why am I <laughs> doing this? Yeah. And yeah. that really is the final it was the final piece for me as I said, I could have, you know. I know a lot of people that have had sex and God redeems those situations. That is not sure, the point, sure. right? Or anything, anything that is mm-hmm. is outside of what God's word says, right. right? Like he He can come in and turn anything for the good. Like that's what our God does. But do I want that or do I want God's very best yeah, for my life? Good. And I finally mm-hmm. had to decide, you know, I, I'm gonna be in the game... For a long time, I want to be in the game for a long time with God. And so I want to take the path of long suffering more than I want that instant gratification.
0: Wow, that's so good.
3: (sighs) So good, Taylor. I did think that was
1: something else that Christopher talked about was how we do tend to have like an anemic, I think he said an anemic Mm -hmm. theology or an anemic understanding of suffering. And so I love that you all you did just call it long suffering, like especially waiting to have sex, that like... You're willing to say that may be what God is calling me to. And that actually may be long suffering, but you see that there's purpose in it, that yeah. God is inviting you into that because He has what's best for you. Yeah.
0: And it all boils down to your decision to say, No, I want to, I want to be holy. Right? Yeah. Like which is so funny because isn't that what First Thessalonians tells us? It says, you know, um, abstain from sexual immorality. And then it says, For it is God's will that you are holy. So it even he mm. points back to this idea of like no really stop stop kind of creating these like here's the boundary or right. like you know you can't this line Youth can like, where's the line <laughs> how how right, close right. can I get to it no <laughs> right. its it's the age old thing that hopefully you know I know my youth pastor would continually say is like that's the wrong question
3: yeah, the right yeah. question
0: is how close can I get to jesus
3: yeah how how close can mm. I get to looking like Jesus exactly.
0: Right. Holiness yeah. and sanctification. And this is why, this is His will. It's it's that we are we become holy. We become looking more like Him. That's awesome. Taylor, thanks for joining us um, mm. on this segment. Yeah, it's such, gonna be, of course. Be, stuff, thanks for having me. It's going to be great to have you over the next uh, couple of episodes as we dive more into this topic of singleness. Um, our passion here at Nothing Is Wasted is to help you partner with God to take back your story. We have a lot of different resources that, um, r- right there on our website, nothingiswasted.com to help you with that. You can check out our Pain to Purpose course. We offer this as a license to churches to offer their uh, their, their congregations. And so you could uh, find a church near you that that takes it, or you can help us launch it in your local church. We also offer it to individuals. You could hire a certified guide who has walked through probably the same exact thing. We have Over 20 certified guides that have walked through different pain stories and they can help you on your unique pain journey. Or you can join our community group platform. All of that stuff can be found at nothingiswasted.com. And so make sure you go and check out those resources.
1: We also just want to give a shout out to Sleeping at Last for providing the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can find his music wherever you find your music. And then we'd love to invite you to follow us on Instagram. You can find us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, or you can follow Davy at Davey Blackburn, or you can follow me at ObSamp. And be sure to come back next week. We're going to continue our singleness series with Taylor, of course. <laughs> but also <laughs> with Brooke Talley, who has an incredible, yeah. incredible ministry to widows and mm-hmm. also an incredible story of how God has shown up in her grief as well. So yeah. let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Davy's conversation with Brooke Talley.
4: You know how like you text your spouse when you're at work and usually you get a response. But uh, I didn't hear back from him all day long. So it came time to leave and head home. And I was like, man, that was just real weird. I didn't hear from, back from Doug today. So I got home and he wasn't there, but his car was. And so it it, it was, I was, I knew something was going on. So I immediately called the police department and um, I just said, <laughs> I said, hey, my husband's not home and he's supposed to be. And praise God just by me saying that like they were like all right we're on our way out to your house um which looking back I'm like that didn't even sound like a reason to come check check on me and they did they were there within minutes and um you know as we started piecing things together they started a search and um Mm. it was two days before we found out that Doug wouldn't be coming home